Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Curiosity Killed the Rat. My name is Matt, I am a science enthusiast. Gosh, it feels like a long time since I've said that sentence because I think it has been a couple of months since <laughs> it we've has been, a... been able to actually sit down and record something with you. And by you, for new listeners True. to the show, um, let me introduce my uh, lovely, illustrious, uh, scientifically learned co-host, Cade. <laughs> scientifically learned mm-hmm. i like that that's yeah. i just i get so much entertainment from how you introduce me each time oh, of course um yeah hello folks um i'm here also i'm recording from lands traditionally owned by the wandry people mm. um matt i'm not sure if you said uh, where you no, are i'm not here i'm not there i am recording from um lands traditionally owned by the noongar noongar people southwest mm. wa represent. whereas i think the last time that we did, because last month, obviously, we didn't record mm. um, a podcast because we had our special edition. And then was it the month before that we were together in person doing the Snowflakes one? So it's been a while Fucking since we've yeah. been Wait, so separate. Is, for, this, is that correct? We're no, we did an antidepressants yeah, one. Yeah, we're recording No, there was a whole. There's a whole was, month yeah. there that I just don't remember. <laughs> um, sorry, September. You mattered. No, September was the August. August is the month I forgot. That's because August was my birthday month. I was distracted. Yeah. Uh, we did a podcast, but it wasn't important. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it was. Anyway, anyway. We're doing one all today. All of that is to say, we're doing one today. Hello, and everyone. we're doing a Halloween one because, Spooky season. as you said, it's October. And so this episode, as, as usual, dropping at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, the end of October, Halloween, Spooky, baby. Scary Spooky skeletons. season. Um, which like, I, I love Halloween, which I think like growing up, we weren't really allowed to like Halloween. It wasn't really, we were told it was know. an American holiday and we weren't Americans. Which, so we like, never participated sure, in trick or treats it or is. anything. Um, fair. And fair uh, you know, the whole history of the holiday, I don't really know. And I don't really care to be honest mm. to me. Halloween is an excuse to, to costume and to costume well and to costume hard. Mm-hmm. And as like a theater kid at heart. I love an opportunity to costume. And so that's why adult me <laughs> loves Halloween. Um, but in addition to costuming, people decorate their houses, mm-hmm. you know, everyone goes goes party mode um, for Halloween. And one of the things that people tend to, you know, decorate or you see a lot of around Halloween time is spider webs. Yeah. Or like, cobwebs. you know, I was walking my dog earlier and there's a house that just had all of these I think they were fake it was just like white string kind of everywhere but I assume it was meant to be spider webs right yeah. like that's what's meant to be spooky yeah because spiders are scoopy Spo- scoopy spooky <laughs> I feel it's also maybe an association with like you think haunted houses in that traditional gothic kind of style mm. it's like abandoned for a long time people True, haven't been there for ages that's means, why the dead's yeah, there yeah, so yeah. it fills up with cobwebs so we've got this sort of, of proxy association rather than spiders yeah, themselves necessarily true, being the ghoulish creatures but spiders because are i think i think that you're correct i think like spiders are scary but spiders are not often like you don't i mean sure you do see some spiders and stuff but it's not often the spiders that are the halloween focus it's the webbing yes. and i think you're right like you've absolutely nailed it it's it's this association between like um yeah just not being disturbed by by humans or anything for a long period of time because it's not just um, spiders webs usually it's cobwebs specifically that are spider webs that are old and dusty and haven't been made in a long mm. time it shows an absence of life an absence of um, 
humanity that would be there yeah. to clean yeah, it yeah. up afterwards. Yeah. And I absolutely love actually that you've you've brought up cobwebs specifically. Mm. Um, because one of the things that I, I want to talk about. Um, cause you know, if, if y'all haven't figured it out from our discussion already, and also the title <laughs> of this episode, uh, we're talking about spiderwebs, mm-hmm. um, today, but I didn't, so, you know, I picked this topic because I wanted a Halloween topic, um, because we like to do sort of relatively Halloweeny topics, um, every, you know, around Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh, spiders. Uh, I didn't know, I didn't know fuck all about spiderwebs. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh my fucking God. Uh, as usual, this always happens to me on this show. Of course. Um, I get so the power of learning. the more I learn. Oh, it's great. And then I just get to like share it all with you guys. Um, but there are different types of web, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you've got cobwebs, um, you've got funnel webs, you've got orb webs. Mm-hmm. Um, so like cobwebs, as you sort of mentioned, colloquially, we, we tend to just call spider webs spiderwebs and uninhabited spiderwebs, like cobwebs, right? Like if I was like to you, Matt, like what's, what's a cobweb? you like, you were like, oh, cobwebs. You kind of said like broken, old, yeah, dusty. right? Like we kind of colloquially use cobweb to describe just like uninhabited or old spiderwebs. Yeah, yeah. But they're actually like in the scientific, like spider science world, they're actually a very specific type of web, oh. the cobweb, right? They're also known as tangle webs, and they are these irregular, messy webs created by cobweb or comb-footed spiders. Um, So they're not webs that are used to catch insects in flight, but they're actually designed to, like, ensnare ground-dwelling insects and other small prey that wander into them. So they're a very specific type of web. Um, They're the kind that typically tend to Mm -hmm. appear and, you know... At least when we talk about cobwebs colloquially, if we have to clean up the house for a rental inspection or something, mm. it's the webs you're getting out of the corners of your roof and stuff like that. They're just yeah, they're all they're not, messy they're and not stuff. They're not the like they're not you know big round so orb webs. Mm. So um, that's you know that's the main one and the main one that I'm going to focus on and the main one that we think of when we think of a spider web, right? They're that the pretty like net wheel thing. shape. Yeah. Yeah, they'll have, you know, your frame, like you can picture it, right? With you've got your radii, you're like your spokes coming out and then like a spiral kind we of. We actually have a, spiral, um, right? at, at the camp I work at, we have a game that we play with the kids called Spider's Web and we have a literal net that's made out of like this elastic cord that looks like a spider's web mm. and we pin it up between two trees and we give the kids the challenge if they have to get their whole team through the net without touching the net and limit them to going through a certain oh, number wow. of holes and stuff so they have to carry themselves through cool. and everything. So. When you when you say so, is it web, like an orb web? Yeah, yeah. It's just like a big. It's one. got the radii. It's got the, and the radii. Spiral. It's got a little circle in the middle. It's not it's just got... like because you've got like a sheet web, and you know because sheet webs are a thing, or like funnel web. I kind of mentioned before. Or it could be sheet like, web. It's, it's of... like it's it's. I mean, it's in three D space, but it's essentially a two dimensional mm. web. You know, when you're looking at it, you can yeah. draw it on yeah. a piece of paper and know what you're looking at. Yeah, but well, like I mean, a, an orb web is. Generally what people would call a spider web. Yeah. It's like, you've got your spokes, you've got your spiral, you've got your, you know, things that kind of like attach it. Yeah. Um, made by orb weavers are the, the type of spider. So there's about 45,000 species of spider. Um, and about <laughs> nice. 12,500 of those are orb weavers. See, when I think orb weaver, so, I specifically think of that big kind we get here in Australia that, uh, fucking, massive like huge Mm. abdomens and they hang there and like they could fit you know 
leg to leg within I mean, the those palm are, of your hand or yeah or, a type of orb weaver absolutely um, i just thought that but, specifically you know, like was your, the orb weaver spider i didn't realize no that that was there a are twelve thousand five hundred <laughs> um orb weaving spiders and the the orb weaver so you've got ones like your I, i'm not sure that one specifically but you've got your golden orb weaver that's is, i think the one i'm one thinking of the most of. famous yeah. ones um could be and so that's but that's called the golden orb weaver it's right. it's not all orb weaver spiders um because yeah like I mean, there's a good 30,000 species of spider that aren't orb weaver, but yeah, there's, there's several different species and they're, they're called that if they make these normal spider web shapes. So Mm. any spider that makes what you would call a spider web, quote unquote, Mm. if you're thinking of that, that particular shape, like that is an orb weaving spider by default because it, it weaves orbs. And like, you know, I mentioned the funnel web before, like the funnel web spider is a very sort of specific, but there are a few different, um, uh, I'm not sure. Are there a few different species of funnel web spider? I didn't really look into it, but the funnel web is is the specific. I just think you know, of that one that terrifying... we know from you know Sydney, where they've got most venomous mm. spider in Australia, one inch long fangs that can bite through a nail and yeah, kill you and in they like make an hour. Oh, and they make these like webs that like have like a tube or like a like a funnel yeah. funnel web, but like they have like a tubular sort of retreat at the end that the spider then like hides in mm. and then emerges to capture prey that like comes near the entrance. Like it's this very ominous type of like web. And there are there are a whole bunch of other types of webs, but I want to focus on the orb webs because that's what we think of when we think of spider webs. And yeah. you know, I just wanted to highlight that that's hashtag not all webs. <laughs> um but then, so like already, not all webs. There are all these different types of webs. Whoa, mind blown. Yeah. Spiders are so cool. Spider webs are so cool. Orb webs, zooming in on them. When you're looking at an orb web, you're not just seeing one type of spider silk. Okay. Like there is not just an orb silk. Like this this blew my mind as well. So there's different types of silk used for like cobwebs versus orb webs. Mm-hmm. But you look at an orb web and like there are many different types of silk that make up the different parts of the web. And they all come from like different silk glands within the spider. So I'll get into this in like way more detail soon. Mm -hmm. But there are 10 known types of silk glands in spiders with up to eight being present in a single species. 10. Um, So one spider can make like eight different types of silk. Um, And presumably like the silk has different purposes. Like some's for catching, some's for walking on, some's for looking pretty (laughs) yeah yeah totally so like most orb weaving spiders have seven um different types of silk gland um that make each gland makes a different um type of silk and i'll just say they they don't just have like seven silk glands in their bum like in their abdomen Mm. like in the thing of the spider um there are hundreds of glands in each spider and they can just be grouped into categories like these seven different categories Mm. based on the like size and shape of the gland but also the type of silk that they make um, so most orb weaving spiders, like I said, have, have seven. So you've got your drag line mm. silk and this is, this is the main one. This is what we think of when like, or, and like is the most studied and like, it's the one that when you see a spider hanging down mm. off something, um, that, that is their drag line yeah. silk named so because, you know, they drag, um, behind, drag it. It makes them. sense. And so. Right. Um, so this comes from, it's also called major ampulate silk because it comes from the type of silk gland called your major ampulate. That's not really important, but this type of silk is the structural silk. So in addition to being the one that they hang off mm-hmm. in, in your orb web, it forms the bridge line. So the thing that, you know, ties it to 
like the trees or whatever. Yeah. Um, and also the radial spokes. So those like spokes coming out. Yeah. Are made of dragline silk, the same stuff that they hang off. Sort of like then your, got, um, it's your foundational or structural webbing. Yeah, it's it's the strongest one. Um, and then, well, actually, no, not necessarily. Okay. Um, I'll come back to that. Then you've got your minor ampulate silk gland. Um, and so this stuff, the silk that comes out of this is essentially like a temporary spiral. Like they lay it down almost like a draft of their, of their thing. And they use like of the, of the spiral bit. So they'll, they'll make their radii using their major ampulate dragline silk. Mm -hmm. And then they'll get this minor ampulate silk and they'll, they'll make it like a guide that they then follow this guide as they lay down the real spiral. And as they do, they like consume the temporary spiral. (laughs) So they like lay down this draft and then they eat it when they're done because amazing. So they're, Um, they're, and then um, they can recycle the proteins to remake the silk later. What was the name of the major ampa something? That was the other name for it again. Yeah. Uh, dragline. So their dragline silk is their canvas. And then their next one, the minor something one, is they're doing a little mm-hmm. sketch in pencil. Is is the pencil. And then the next yeah. one is they um, go over that in pen and erase the pencil, but in this case they're yeah, eating so that's the your... pencil, so it's not a perfect analogy, but yeah, okay. Yeah, um, flagelliform gland is, so flagelliform silk is, is the one, um, makes up the fibres of your capture spiral. So as they're like getting rid of this minor one, they're laying down this flagelliform spiral and mm-hmm. it's so it's not as strong as the the drag line silk the major mm-hmm. ampulate um but it stops prey just like springing back off it like a trampoline so if they made the whole spiral out of the like drag line silk mm. the flies would kind of like trampoline it's off very it. springy they would trampoline off it which is kind of not all that helpful yeah. so this flagelliform silk is really really cool it actually stretches it's super super stretchy and it stretches absorbs the impact energy mm. and then really really slowly kind of comes back and releases that impact energy as heat energy huh is that is that what makes Wild. it sticky no. So then, <laughs> then you've got your aggregate silk gland. Oh, the so sticky that is one a different isn't type even of there silk. Yet. Damn. No. So these are this is little sticky droplets. So they then get mm. their aggregate silk, which they so this yeah their capture spiral is essentially a composite material of the flagelliform silk and the aggregate silk. So the aggregate, mm. the sticky one, they come and they attach all these little sticky droplets to the flagelliform fibers to make it sticky. So you've got your shock absorbing mm. flagelliform covered in little like sticky droplets, which is like glue, essentially. So they've put a foam mattress on a trampoline and put glue on the foam mattress. But it's not a trampoline. Like, that's the thing. The, the, like, if they I mean, had made the, uh, the whole the, thing... So, like, the structural stuff is made out of your springy thing, but then to absorb well, yeah, some I of guess that so. shock, that's I guess where the mattress gotta... comes in. That's your shock absorbent to kind of absorb that. But then the structural I don't know. stuff I, is made I would... out of more springy shit. I would, I would frame it differently. I don't okay. think you've put something cause you haven't put the flagelliform stuff on top of the trampoline, your trampoline or your major, like your mm. drag line, like that, that's more the structural. Okay. So hear me thing. out. Right. Uh, forgive me. I'm going to so say like trampoline again. You've got trampoline. the frame of the trampoline with yeah. all of the springs, but instead of that, um, black mesh, whatever is in yeah. the center of a trampoline, you've got a mattress there. You've got a you've shock got absorbing something that can, soft yeah, yeah, foam, exactly. whatever. So you've put an absorptive mattress and then you've gone <laughs> and got your little hot glue gun and yeah. put a whole lot of little droplets of, <laughs> of sticky glue onto that mattress. Mm. Um, but 
The cool thing is, so that's that's mm. one type of like glue silk. Yeah. That's not the only type of glue silk that they make. You've got your piriform silk gland, which is, oh. they call it the attachment cement. So that's mm. the specific silk glue that like joins the, the drag line to mm. like the substrate. So like spiders can, can make things off glass. They can attach their thing to glass really well. They can attach to most surfaces mm. pretty well. Um, their, their web, they can just like attach it because they make this attachment cement, which so is another got, type of silk. That they've got the two different line. glues, one for the structural integrity of the web and one for catching the prey and they're different glues yeah. with different properties. And they're different, different glues. Purposes. Yeah. 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 And then, so there's still two more types of silk that I haven't gone through. So we've gone through five. What, 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 what more seven. do they need on their web? They can build the frame. They can catch it. They can stick there. The web stays together. What, what more can the yeah. web do? Okay. So... We've caught an insect. We want to wrap it up, right? Mm. We've caught some prey. We want to wrap up that prey. So then we've got our, oh, I don't know how to pronounce this. Akini? Akini form. We're going to say that. Akini mm -hmm. form gland, um, which produces this particular silk, the Akini form silk that, yeah, they use to wrap the prey. It's not the only thing they use this silk for, though. They also use this as the inner lining of their egg sac. So if they have eggs, they, they wrap up all their eggs. But mm. their egg sac, which is the, the final type of uh, silk, their mm. egg sac is a double layered thing. So the the stuff that they wrap the prey in, that's quite mm. um, you know, soft. And mm. so it's kind of the soft inner layer of the egg sac. And then they have this harder silk yeah. that kind of almost crystallizes. And they that's the tubular form silk. Um, and it forms the outer layer of their egg sac. Um, so their egg sacs, um, I don't know if you went too much into the, the laying of eggs for spiders. Um, no, I no. didn't. Because, yeah, I never thought about how spiders laid eggs, but when I see egg sacs, I just, I don't know, I assume they laid them like normal eggs. Like in but a I sack? Wonder, yeah, I wonder if they, yeah, so they make the sack and then they put the eggs in the sack or they lay yeah, the eggs I'm not and sure then if wrap they it lay... in a sack as a protective shell that they just construct. Yeah. It's not like a I'm chicken sure. where it comes out shell and all. No, no, they have to make their own shell later, essentially. <laughs> um there you go. Though, like, I guess it probably has its own little sort of shell, but no, like, in the egg sac, because you have, like, they have hundreds mm. and thousands of, you know, babies yeah. at once, right? And so I think they, I'm not sure what order they do it. I don't know if they make the sac and give birth into it. I don't think so, though. I think they give birth first, yeah. and then they wrap it up, first in the inner lining and then in the outer lining. Well, if we've got um, any uh, spider scientists listening, you know, hit us up on our, um, on one of our socials and let us know. Um how mm. to have in what order do spiders <laughs> lay eggs? I, I'm, I'm curious. You can email now. Matt curiosity <laughs> at gmail.com and I'll answer it in a future episode. Um, but yeah. And like, so those, those are like the seven different main types of silk in an orb weaving spider. But then you've got like different spiders. Like there are some spiders that make like parachutes that can carry them up, you know, oh, yeah. all of these different silks have different, Different like, purposes and, and properties. And different properties. Like, so they're different proteins. So spider silk is essentially just like a string of mm. connected proteins. Like a repeating, 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 repeating sequence of of very specific type of proteins. Um, oh, what are they called? I wrote it down somewhere here. Like spin groins or something. Um, with um, no, with that it. in mind... What um web? What type of web do you think Spidroin. Um, Spider Man uses when he's swinging on webs? What sort of web? Oh, I mean, is that's that? his drag line. 
That's his drag, drag line. Silk. Would the drag yeah. line be able to stick to the and buildings on its own, or would he need to put like a little bit of that? No, blue that's web true. On he there? would probably need to put. Or do you think um, it's a hybrid to... web that has both qualities somehow? I mean, it does seem to be. It would. It would need to. Mm. Mm. I mean, it would need to be a hybrid thing that he shoots that the end of it is the piriform web with the attachment yeah. cement. Um, and then the rest of it is the drag line because when a spider is actually like making mm. its web, cause they've got all of these like, um, glands, right. They've got all these glands in, in, in their bum. Um, yeah. and then they've got these things called spinnerets, which are essentially the organs that spin the silk. And mm. so as they pull from each different gland and like, that's really, well, I'll get into that in a second, yeah. but essentially, um, as they, as they're building their web, what they do is they're either pulling it out with their legs or they hook it to a point and pull it out because they can't squeeze it out like toothpaste, right? They have to pull it out like floss. Um, what, like they don't push it oh, from the inside. They do use their little arms, don't they? You see so they use like, their, yeah, they use their little legs. So they're just and like so pulling it out of themselves. Oh my God. Yeah. So <laughs> as the, like, and when they're building a web, like web, if you like zoom right in, they're yeah. using their legs to selectively pick the right silk at the right time during this process. <laughs> like a, um, like they a come fucking, out of physically um, frozen yogurt glands. machine with a bunch of different yeah, flavors literally, and they have though. to pull the different levers to literally, get, but it's just yeah, really because they tiny. come out of the different glands, tiny, tiny, tiny. So they've just the got spinnerets. like seven different holes all lined up next to each other. Well, they've got their hundreds of different glands that <laughs> can be grouped hell. into seven different categories into these spinnerets. And then the spinnerets spin the silk and they like pull them out. So this is with Spider-Man, right? If you press mm. the thing, like it, it goes, it just shoots out mm. and sticks straight to the thing, right? Yeah. But if, if it was set up so that every time you shot it, the like maybe, maybe like your contraption is set up that it brushes past. And so the very tip of any shooting mm. web is going to be the cement, right? Like it just picks up the cement, right? Yeah. There would be a way to do it. There like Tony Stark would be on it. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, the, the one that like, we know that a human, um, could swing from yeah. spider silk. Right. And like, there was a thing they, oh, which Spider-Man movie was it where he hangs up like a train or something? Oh, um, Spider-Man um, two with Tobey Maguire where he's yeah. stopping the train in front of it from slowing mm. down. Yeah. Using, using, using the, web. the webs. Yeah. So he's like, he um, jumps in front of the train, he shoots webs out either side and he's slowing it down by grabbing onto yeah, the webs yeah. and they're elasticing and he slowly stops it using his strength. So the webs. I watched a thing that was like, could like, would that work? Mm. Like is spider silk strong enough to do that? Yeah. And someone had like legitimately done all the calculations. I'll, I'll mm. find it and link it somewhere in this description. And I think the conclusion was that like, they used, I think, because they were also looking at like the last recorded speed on the speedometer of the tra I don't know. But the, yeah, in that movie, he used three times the amount of spider silk he would need to for the spider silk to be strong enough. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Like it's legit. Like a, a thing, the width of a garden hose could hold up a jumbo jet. I oh, think shit. was the well, that definitely thing that I also translates to the later movie. Um, what was the first Tom Holland one called? Homecoming, where he stops the ferry from getting split in half, mm. and he's in reminiscent of the Spider-Man Two scene. He's grabbing the yeah. two halves of the ferry, and he's in the middle trying to hold it together and mm. pull them together. Yeah. So I mean, like, 
less commenting on his strength there. Yeah. I don't know what being bitten by a spider did to his muscles, but yeah. in terms of the tensile strength of the spider silk, mm. absolutely, absolutely you could do it. And like, this is the thing, I say tensile strength, which is the resistance to breaking under tension. There's lots yeah. of different types of like Compressive strength versus tensile strength. Um, I learned more about that when the whole Ocean Gate submarine thing happened because they used mm. carbon fiber, yeah. which has really good tensile strength, but not compressive strength. But the yes. guys so when we didn't say, know that. Yeah. So yeah. when we say like spider silk is super strong, it's stronger than steel, which like mm. on a per weight basis, it's stronger than steel. It has a stronger tensile strength mm. than steel. And I it absolutely like, does. You know, There's also a, a good way to describe like tensile strength. An easy way for people to understand is like rope, right? If someone's hanging mm. from a rope, that rope has really awesome tensile strength, but I'm not going to tie a rope to a car and then push it because that rope's just going to mm. bunch up and be incredibly ineffective. But if I pull it and it becomes tense or taut, mm. then it can hold that Helena strength really well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so there was, I'll also link it in the description. I watched a lot of YouTube videos preparing for this. Um, Mythbusters, of course, legends that they are, tested mm. the whole, like, is spider silk stronger than steel? Mm. And they did this cool experiment where they had a bucket of, like, well, it was a bucket of water, but an empty bucket to begin with, hanging from a, a steel wire and then an equivalent um, width density mm. uh, spider silk string. And they just progressively filled the bucket up with water until yeah. it became so heavy that the thing broke. And then they weighed that bucket of water to see how heavy it was before the thing broke. Yeah. And yeah, the spider silk did like double the steel. Wow. Um, and oh, watching, just watching, I love Mythbusters just because watching Adam Savage get so excited. Like he was, he was like, there were no explosions. There was nothing, mm. but this is some of the coolest stuff I've ever done. Just a little bit of spider silk. And it was like, a yeah, question that was really, that's really just, cool. um, raised in my mind i'm not sure if you're going to go into what like the what spider webs are made of chemically or how their molecular structure is um because mm. i was just going damn the fact that that's an organic material that is stronger than metal but then i thought hold on what defines organic material it's got carbon in it what's one of our strongest you know tensile mm. strength things you look at carbon carbon well, nanotubes carbon yeah. fiber so i wonder if so there's this something is where there, i will right? be like by the definition organic in terms of being most like, you know, mm. containing carbon and hydrogen, which is kind of our definition. Like spider silk is not in that sense organic because oh. it's made of proteins, right? G'day everyone, future editing Matt here. Just wanted to insert a quick note. Um, Cade misspoke here. So spider silk is in fact organic, um, even though it is made of proteins because proteins are organic molecules. They are made up of amino acids. Um, which do in fact contain carbon. So even by the chemistry definition of organic, spider silk is also organic. Apologies for the mistake there, everyone. Enjoy the rest of the show. But it is biodegradable. And this is where we get so like, you know, I don't know, like the word organic means like so many different things in so yeah. many different contexts, right? And we've kind of colloquially started to be like, oh, organic means it's natural. Means Pesticide it's, free. You know, nature made it versus yeah. whatever, right? Like, but that's, that's not, if you're going with the definition of organic to do with carbon mm. and that sort of chemical definition of organic, um, like spider silk. And I will explain because I want to explain how it gets like actually just comes out of its body. Like they don't have reels of pre-made silk in their body. It's okay. liquid. 
It's liquid. It's like a viscous honey consistency liquid in their glands that turns solid as it comes out. So when you see a spider like dropping down, Mm. you're watching in real time this like liquid stuff turn Mm. solid as it comes out their bum. Imagining like, you know, have you seen those videos of when they're building houses and stuff, um, insulation foam, like they spray it, it comes out of a can, Uh, it's a liquid. And then as mm, it is exposed to the air, it like expands and solidifies and changes its form just for you. Mm. It's stored as a liquid. And as soon as it's exposed to the air, it changes its material and chemical properties. Um, So it's kind of like that, but it's not exposure to the air that changes it. Okay. Um, it's like, hang on. I'll get into, cause I'll explain this whole process in a second, but I want to just, before I completely forget and go on this tangent, come mm. back to this idea of like organic versus, you know, not organic in, in the sense that I want to, spider silk is biodegradable because it is a natural thing, right? Yeah. Quote unquote. And like that I think is really cool and important because I'll talk a bit maybe at the end about just different potential uses for this stuff. And it's like, if it has all these amazing, like it's incredibly you know, strong tensile strength. Um, mm. Like dragline silk can take three times the energy of Kevlar before it breaks, oh, by shit. the way, which is like Kevlar is five times stronger than steel. So, yeah. you know, wild. And that's like kind of our best, you know, thing that we've made artificially at the moment. Um, it's incredibly flexible. It's incredibly sticky. Um, it's got all these like really good properties that if we could utilize it commercially, it's then biodegradable. And that's, that's amazing as I'm well. I'm just thinking like, about it be... replacing like rock climbing and abseiling ropes. I'd love to, you know, climb yeah. down a wall um, on spider silk. <laughs> yeah. There are, there are so many, oh, there are so many cool uses and the main sort of problem around why we don't, you know, use it for climbing and stuff mm. and we don't you know use it for or... medical medical stuff right as well because spider silk doesn't elicit an immune response oh so, so you we could, could like be using it as in a component and... for artificial tendons yeah wound dressing sutures like to stitch things up um people have talked about using it like to serve as guides to regrow nerves or scaffolds for tissue growth like Holy there's all shit. this cool stuff yeah why aren't um, we doing this because we can't make it on a large enough scale yet Yet, yes. being the asterisk. So, do we have a way to can't... artificially make it yet, or are we just kind of farming spiders at the moment? No. Well, this is the thing. We we can't. The, there's a few issues with farming mm. spiders. Uh, number one, well, spiders like to eat their web when they're done with it, so like it's not super convenient there. Uh, number two, spiders like to live alone, and they tend to settle property disputes by eating each other. So, farming mm. groups of spiders right. is just not. It's just not a thing that is feasible. Yeah. Um, Silkworms, much easier to farm, hang out in groups. And we'll come back to that because that's kind of our, at the moment, mm. but in order to sort of be like, okay, well, farming spiders is really hard. Um, You know, things that have been made with spider silk so far have taken many, many years of lots of, like, it's just very, very labor intensive um, because yeah, you just can't, you just can't have huge groups of spiders yeah, being just like milked each for their, yeah. yeah, being milked for their silk. Um, so before I get into the, the cool ways that we're solving this problem and artificially like replicating how spiders make silk, mm. I should probably explain how spiders make silk. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned the, like the spinneret, um, organs that sort of spin the silk and I just, 
want to point out that the first proto-spiders um, that we've found kind of fossil records or in amber, whatever, 380 million years ago had spinnerets, um, but they were located not at their butt, like at a different point in their body. Okay. Um, the first sort of butt Butt spinnerets um, appeared 250 million years ago. So this allowed for more intricate sort of web design and stuff. Um, to put this into perspective, mm-hmm. humans only evolutionarily diverged from chimpanzees about 7 million years ago. Um, not 250 oh, okay. million years ago when yeah. spiders started making webs. So like spider silk is an ancient material. Like spiders yeah. figured this shit out like long before we even figured out how to be human. Like yeah. it's, it's amazing. Um, and so or they've had spinnerets anyway. And so the sort of evidence they've been able to do this. So the end of each little spinneret has these like little hollow hair, like outlets, like little tubes connected to the silk glands that I mentioned before in the abdomen. And like I said, the silk is actually in liquid form in their silk glands, this kind of honey consistency, Mm. but emerges as the solid silk threads. Um, So what happens is the different parts of the silk gland secretes different types of proteins. And I sort of mentioned it before that there's a specific protein and they're called spidroins um, is, is what the term that we've come up with. We spider scientists, not me uh, came up with to label spider silk proteins, spidroins. Um, But I'm just going to call them spider silk proteins, but they deserve their own special name because they are different to like proteins that we see anywhere else. Like they're, they're super long, they're super sort of specific. Um, and each gland or each different type of silk has a different type of protein. Yeah. Um, and so these silks are essentially, they're just like long trains of repeating protein. Um, like if you can think of just like a long, like, or I guess, um, I, I had Sorry. a good, um, I saw a video on TikTok recently that um, was talking about a particular fluid. I can't remember what it was called, but it had incredibly mm. long proteins. So when you pour it, like the whole thing just comes out and it was analogous to like an egg white. When you think about egg whites, mm. all of the proteins in that are really long. So when you try and pour out just a little bit of egg white, not just a little bit comes mm, out, the kind of- whole thing comes out because those proteins are yeah. all so long and so connected to each other. Um, yeah, and, and so then it's, like, protein very foods. viscous as yes. well, right? Like, egg white is very... So, you know, mm-hmm. um, the silk gland will secrete all of these proteins into the into the cavity of the gland, and you'll have this very viscous, honey, egg whitey liquid. Mm. Um, this liquid then flows through, like, a long sort of progressively narrowing duct, right? Mm. Um, and in this duct, water is extracted, and as the duct narrows, um, there's, like, some mild sort of acid going on there as well, mm-hmm. and this, like, pulling stress. And it's this, like, pulling stress that, like, helps sort of clip these things into um, being solid. And, like, the best analogy in terms of these long proteins and stuff that mm. I, I read was imagine trying to, so imagine a bunch of dry spaghetti, like it's in liquid form. And so suspend that for a moment and just imagine a bunch of dry spaghetti and a funnel. Yeah. In order to get these dry spaghetti pieces, which are, these are our proteins in this scenario, long thin Mm -hmm. proteins, in order to get them through the funnel, they all need to line up, right? They all will need to line up vertically. You won't be able to have proteins at all different angles. Yeah. Now the proteins that spider silk is made of They're like this, but they have little like Lego attachment points at each end. So it's like a long Lego spaghetti, Mm -hmm. a long Lego piece. And so as they all line up to fit through this funnel, Mm. they actually clip together and you end up with 
a long repeating chain of oh. Lego spaghetti um, or Think spider like, um, And as it comes... I'm imagining even more specific than Lego, like, you know, Bionicle, the little ball and clippy bit to that, to that ball. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so they can kind of wiggle around Except you're not clipping a to a... You're not, no, because you're not clipping to a ball. You're clipping to the the protein above you. And so you've just yeah, got the okay. same... Oh, just so like a you, single you, Lego piece. Hold like on. a single Lego piece. Like a single Lego... Single Lego piece. Like a <laughs> little that single five cube. Times fast. Single Lego piece. Single... Blah, 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 blah. No. Um, so like you get your little cube, your little Lego cube. Yep. And it's got little nobbins in the top and little yep. holes in the bottom. Yeah. And um, then but in imagine this case, it kind of longer, yep. right? Like it's taller so that it can't... Like you don't want it to be a square. You want it to be a tall rectangle. Tall, tall single Lego pieces. Stacked on top yeah. of each other. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm yeah, with you and then yeah. as they all line up to go through the funnel, they all clip together. Yeah. And so you just get this repeating. And so, like, different silks will have – that protein will be different. So say you've got yellow Lego blocks, and so, like, your dragline silk will be all yellow Lego blocks that then clip together, repeating, repeating, repeating. Yeah. And then you've got your blue Lego blocks, which is maybe your flagelliform silk. And so it's a different protein. It's the same thing in that mm. it repeats and repeats, yeah. but it's a different protein. Like the yellow protein does not look like the blue protein. Yeah. But the cool thing is, so within one spider species, you'll mm-hmm. be able to look at the, the, the um, you know, the amino acid sequence of, which is, that's all proteins are, right? They're yeah. a string of amino acids. So you'll look at the amino acid sequence of dragline silk and you'll be like, okay, it's yellow. Um, and you'll look at the amino acid sequence of, um, flagelliform silk and you'll be like, okay, it's blue. Yeah. Um, and you'll be able to, without even like, or you'll be able to, spider scientists yeah. can look at that and they, they'll be able to say, oh, that's dragline and that's flagelliform. Yeah. Um, because they're so similar between species. So you'll have a different species of spider mm. and it's dragline. It'll be a slightly different amino acid sequence, but it'll still be yellow. So you'll have your like baby yellow versus your maybe like orangey yellow, right? But a spider scientist will still look at it and be like, oh, yellow, it's a component of, it's a building block of dragline silk. Could could you say the same about like, you know, you look at a a human and you look at a bird and you dissect them and you look at the muscle proteins of a human, you look at the muscle proteins of a bird. And even though we're totally different species, you could look at and be like, well, those are both muscles. The proteins that make them up are similar and the structures work in a similar way. I suppose so. I suppose so. But here in this scenario, Mm. they're all spider silk and we can tell that they're all spider silk. But then within that, we can tell like flagelliform silk and dragline silk Mm. is more different from each other than it is between species species. of spider. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you'll I, have different shades of yellow depending on the species of spider or different shades of blue depending on the species of spider, but you'll still be able to tell, oh, that's blue, that's yellow. So is this how they're able to get the sticky bit onto the end of their um, dragline web? They just link a couple of their um, sticky web proteins um, on top of the dragline proteins? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they actually physically connect like that or if they just... Because they just pull it out separately. So they pull out their little bit of the, like, cement first, put a little bit of cement on the wall, and they pull yeah. out their other bit and stick it to it, you know? like Yeah, it's, okay. It's, 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 coming, it's not getting clipped in that tube because all of that's happening before it's kind of hit the spinneret, right? So yeah, okay. this is in the gland, and then funneling out of the gland... It solidifies mm. and clips together. Yeah. And then they pull and then it gets like spun. The spinnerets and like spin it like into the fiber, right? Like mm. rope versus hair, right? It kind of needs spinning oh, and weaving. Oh, th- fucking, or, like, um, you know. Fairy floss. 
liquid sugar yeah. gets spun and turns into these long stringy fibers of um of string mm. of sugar which obviously doesn't have so. the same structural integrity but same that, tensile strength um that's another example i can think of of a liquid being spun into a silk or a string or a floss yeah um which you know there's i'm sure there are other, other but i think with that, sugar like, that's just, a case of it cools realize... and crystallizes but you know yeah yeah like it's 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 different. It's a different process to kind of get there. But yeah, it's a similar, I guess it's a similar sort of thing, mm. but like, yeah. So you end up with these like very fine strands or thin, fine strands, um, of the fiber. Um, but then yeah, the spinnerets will like spin it together. But the final section of this duct, mm. um, actually provides for some silk, but not all silk, um, provides a thin kind of like fatty coating to the silk line as well. Okay. Um, which is important because, We'll get to that later. It's just like an extra thing that spiders can do that, oh, mm. silkworms can also do. Um, and this is where I bring us back around to our, our I mentioned silkworms before. Yeah. Because, yeah, farming spiders real hard. Um, replicating that process of like, um, you know, you've got a, you've got the thinning kind of tube, but it also, there's like a whole water extraction process. There's some like acid bath that goes in there. And then there's that very specific type of stressor that gets put on it that helps it like solidify into this yeah. thing. So we're getting better um, as humans at sort of replicating that process, but we're not completely there yet doing it as well as spiders do. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we've decided to do, um, well, actually, even before that, even if we have, and even if we do totally nail this process of turning the liquid to the solid, we still need to generate that liquid. Like, where do we get the liquid spider proteins? Like, yeah. no other creature makes these spidroids, like, makes these particular Lego spaghetti, I've used so many analogies, uh, <laughs> proteins. Yeah. Special spider silk proteins. Like, no one else makes those. Um, so even if we are not taking the thread directly from the spider, we still need to somehow grow these proteins. Yeah. Now, spiders grow them. Mm-hmm. We've been doing, we, I keep saying we, other scientists, uh, have had some really interesting, interesting attempts. Um, so genetic modification is a really, really nifty tool in the sense that it makes scientists Spider-Man. have been able to... Well, we've been able to isolate the gene for these proteins because every protein that someone makes, right, there's a genetic blueprint, there's a code, there's an instruction manual within Mm -hmm. our DNA that's like, make this protein. So spiders have the genetic instruction manual to making these proteins. We can take that little gene, we can take that little bit of instruction and we can like splice it into a different animal, and then that animal will start making that protein. Goddamn. Spider sloths? So. We're gonna see some spider sloths? Spider goats. <laughs> legitimately. Oh, that's even fucking better. So, yeah, legitimately, some researchers um, have been breeding genetically modified goats that contain the genes from orb weaving spiders. Um, and so then it comes out in their milk. 
Because <laughs> the thing is, they're very big proteins, right? They're yeah. very big, long proteins. And before they went to goats, they were like, oh, can we can we get plants to do this? Or actually, I think they started in bacteria because you kind of have to... Bacteria are a part of this genetic modification process. You use bacteria to move genes. And so they started mm. they getting started by getting bacteria to try and make this protein. Um, and then they moved to plants. Like I alfalfa. thought about plants. I wondered like, does it have to be an animal that it's put in or could we just straight no. up grow um, spider protein? Yeah. So they tried it in alfalfa. Um, and, and it's, you know, there, there's promise there as well. The problem is trying like alfalfa doesn't I naturally want make vegan spider huge silk, proteins. Know. Yeah. Well, this is, yeah, mm. this is a problem. Um, but Alfalfa, like the problem with plants is that they don't necessarily naturally make these huge proteins. Yeah. Whereas like milk, goat milk, there are, there's big proteins in goat milk yeah. normally. So you're kind of, they're set up with the machinery to handle big proteins. So we can instruct them and it comes out in their milk and then you extract the protein, but then you still have to go through that process of turning it into a fiber if you want a fiber. Um, yeah, but so you it can actually, it's not there's like a the, lot the, of... You're not just milking straight silk out of these goats. You're getting the milk, no, you take the no, milk, you you're then getting the milk, the protein you're isolating the, milk the protein. You then have to process. Yep. Yeah. And then okay. you've got to like, um, well, you can either then process it to turn it into a fiber, or there's a lot of interesting research in terms of like, what can these protein, like, sure, the fiber is really cool, but these mm. proteins, because of their properties, like, can we make composites, um, like new types of plastic that have different like properties that are useful and like, mm. what are different things that we can mix just the proteins with? Um, and there's some really interesting sort of research. Actually, one that I thought was really interesting is making better adhesives, like better glues, because like I said, they have spider silks. They have this, they make two different types of glue silk, right? Mm. And the interesting thing about spider spider glue, um, it stays sticky under wet conditions, right? Like under humid or wet conditions. Yeah. Normally glue, glue is pretty fucking useless, right? It'll wash um, away or... Because what happens, water actually, it water permeates most materials, right? And it mm. forms a non-adhesive layer between the sticky substance and the surface that it's meant to stick to. Yeah. So the water kind of permeates through, forms a little barrier, stops the sticky actually doing the sticky. Yeah. Um, the spider silk proteins have what we call hygroscopic properties, which means they absorb moisture. So the strand itself absorbs the water to stop mm. droplets forming a layer between the silk and the prey or the wall or whatever you're trying to stick to, right? If we could figure also out how to do that, conditions. that, I can already think of an application for that. Like the amount of times I've had to put a Band-Aid on a kid, right? And I need to wash mm. the wound first. And whenever I wash the wound first, then I always have to like really yeah. pat dry the skin around it. Yeah. And even if a little yeah. bit of moisture is still there, the Band-Aid just fucking falls off. Yeah. If and this could is be where a we were talking you about how onto wet skin, that would be a game hypoallergenic as well, aid. right? Yeah. It would be a Band-Aid you could stick onto wet skin. And so many kids are allergic to Band-Aids as well because of the Absolutely. stickiness. Like, oh. Yeah. So this is something that scientists are actually working on is yeah. glues and like wound dressings and all sorts of things. The problem remains still just like commercializing this yeah. like mass production. To of, make it actually um, realistically available for a consumer. Yeah. And so there have been some issues with the goats and then also like farming. I mean, I guess farming goats on a large scale is, is probably a thing that's, that's doable. Um, but I mean, for some fuck reason, if we can it, do it, it with cows, cows are a lot bigger yeah, than I goats. Yeah, I mean, true. Um, well, I'm not sure exactly what the main issue with the goats, uh, was but they have looked also it's the same the same group uh researchers um silkworms i mentioned silkworms before a couple and of i times. i totally didn't having... realize that silkworms mm. like you know silk like clothing silk that we 
Like that's that's farmed from silkworms. I think Did I you know that. I think I, I knew that. that, but I the gravity of it hadn't really. I feel set like in. I was just willfully ignorant. Just mm. I guess like leather. We don't really think about how leather is is ex animal. Honestly, uh, we don't really gelatin. Think about how silk. Actually, true. Gum, there's a any lot of there's gummy a lot of lolly things. or jelly. It's like that. You can't even just say it's not vegan. It's straight up not vegetarian because animals had to die to make gelatin to mm. create any gummy that you eat that isn't mm. derived from pectin. That's derived from gelatin. Um, yeah, there are a lot yeah, of yeah. snaky well, animal products out there. Silk, silk is one of them, and mm. so as a result, silkworms and farming silkworms because they you can farm silkworms a lot better than you can farm spiders. They don't eat each other. Mm. Um, they hang out they in just groups worms. and they it love is, it. They just wriggle. It is viable. There are commercial level silk farms for, you know, like this is, this is a thing. And mm. the, the advantage, actually, this is, this is the advantage of the silkworms over the goats. So the goats, like I said, they just make the protein. Mm. Silkworms make the fibers. They make silk fiber. Mm. So we don't even have to figure out how to turn the proteins into a fiber ourselves, right? Um, it's still not quite as stretchy or as strong as the silk naturally produced by spiders, but it is significantly stronger and stretchier than the silk naturally produced by silkworms. Yeah. Um, this is in this process once they've genetically modified these uh, silkworms. The other thing, I mentioned that coating before, that sort of protective layer that they coat, that spiders coat their their mm. silk with. Um, that protective layer, it actually helps them, helps the silk withstand sunlight and humidity. And silkworms, like spiders, because they also naturally have the machinery to make silk, yeah. they just coat the fibers. So they, you genetically modify these silkworms and they'll just make a bunch of silk as though it's their own silk. But what they'll yeah. be making is spider silk or spider adjacent silk. It's not yeah. quite as good yet, but it's closer. Um, and then they'll just coat it for you and they'll just like, you know, farm out yeah. a bunch of spider silk for you. Do you know so what that's kind silkworms of... use their silk for? Obviously we know why spiders have spider webs, but mm, silkworms think, didn't well, evolve to make their... nice clothes for us. No, but they do egg sacs and stuff i'm pretty okay. sure okay um if you didn't yeah. research i'm not it, sure i didn't okay. look no i didn't look into silkworm i didn't look into non-genetically modified silkworms yeah. i only read about these like spider the episodes on spider webs not um, silkworms yeah, so you're all good I'll, exactly. I'll give you a pass on this one um appreciate it but <laughs> essentially this whole like genetically modified spider silkworm is is really really promising um and like really recent, like I read something that had just like recently come out about it. But this this thing that I read was like, there are still unfortunately a few hurdles um, before we can scale this up to commercial production, right? Yeah. This like commercially produced uh, spider silk from silkworms. So first scientists need to figure out whether this like inserted spider silk protein gene gets passed down to new generations of silkworms via normal breeding. We don't yeah. still, we don't know yet how the breeding of this gene to, is going to um, work. Genetically modify kind of every batch Engineer of it. Because it'd be handy of, like, if we generation. just like made a species of silkworms yeah, that could do this for Exactly. Us. That, that be... could just, br that would be fantastic. Yeah. But that's, that's where science is going next. We need to figure this out. Um, then we need to like crossbreed the genetically modified silkworms with the commercial silkworms that are currently used for like silk cultivation. Um, and then the final hurdle that this like paper mentioned, which I just made me go, oh yeah, the world, we live in a society because not all hurdles are scientific, right? There are issues mm. currently around potential intellectual property issues that could arise from distributing gene edited silkworms to farmers. Um, so whenever you're doing oh, like genetic IP. modification. God damn it. Yep. Oh, forced uh, so copyright law has its 
fucking fingers in this yeah. as well. And so whenever you're talking about commercializing anything or doing, especially like this is the first time we're really talking about commercializing something that requires like, well, genetic modification, not really actually, because a lot of foods are, uh, come about that way but it's like that's that's the thing it's like a whole watch monsanto process. buy the patent for this shit and um i won't go into yeah it. so <laughs> no um so the point is uh we're we're getting pretty close uh mm. to being able to make spider silk on this commercial level we're not there yet but we're where science is definitely heading in the right direction but there are still hurdles um before we can come to it but like yeah like i said there's so apart from it just being like batshit insanely cool as a material that can do like there are so many potential uses you've got all your adhesive ones uh all the medical ones one i did want to bring up that we just we haven't actually mentioned yet and when i mentioned kevlar and stuff i was wondering if you'd ask about potential bulletproof the thought crossed my mind um but Mm. i don't know enough about the the science of kevlar and its bullet stopping abilities Mm. to wonder whether I, i because it would have to absorb heat impact on a, like a very specific narrow point. Because that's what give bullets their mm. like penetrative abilities is how localized mm. it is. And I don't know if spider mm. silk would have the same ability to do that. But I mean, fuck, why not? It can do yeah. everything else, right? Is that a so? Co- it was really, really because it has some. It would Sorry. have to have some compressive strength abilities, right? As well, because the bullet goes in and like squashes it or is it all tensile? Cause it's getting, I, yeah, I don't know. T- lay it on me. I feel like, yeah. you know, and I'm stalling. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really interesting actually, because I read conflicting viewpoints on this. Mm. Um, and I, I read a few things that were like, yeah, by kind of, you know, these metrics, spider, like garments made out of spider silk, like maybe in the future we'll be able to like utilize spider proteins to make like armor that's more lightweight and flexible than anything today. And it would be bulletproof. Mm -hmm. But then I read or no, was I listened to an interview? Oh, I can't remember his name or I'd like say it now. Um, That's all right. I'll link all of these things in the description if people people But he was like, the thing that he always says, and this is like, he's a, one of the leading experts. He was, he's the guy behind the goats. He's the, the, <laughs> the, the head of the goat lab. Um, Dr. Randy Lewis, Utah, that's it. I remember now. Um, anyway, he was like, sure, it can stop a bullet, but it'll stop it on the wrong side of your chest. Um, uh, so like it'll flex it's out. The, yeah. It'll because if you think about the flagelliform the silk would yeah. probably be the one that's best at this more so than the, the drag line. Right. Because that's the one that when the insects hit the web, it, abs- it's got all mm. that absorption. It absorbs that and releases it as heat energy and it doesn't break. And like, it would do that. It would be fantastic. You could make it a shield maybe, mm. right. That you stood significantly far back from and it would absorb the bullet impact and all of that but it would need to flex so much in that process because of how it works mechanically that if you were wearing a bulletproof vest made of like spider silk, um, the vest wouldn't break, but you still might not live. What I reckon Um, (laughs) a better use for it would be rather than like armor for military purposes, maybe as like uh, water sacks for camelbacks or something to hold fuel Mm. or something that can hold something that doesn't need to be protected on the inside in the sense of like its shape can be deformed and flexed, but you've still got something that could contain it. Like if you dropped it or in tough climates um, Mm. for for liquid storage, it could be really good. So like 
it's still, yeah, because, like, it does have, it does technically have what's called anti-ballistic properties, right? Mm. Um, but, yeah, in terms of bulletproof armor, bulletproof vest, bulletproof clothing. You need um, a bit more rigidity yeah, was, there. Yeah, I just, I loved the sentence, it'll stop it on the wrong side of your chest. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's, I can't take credit for that, that's good. That's, um, that's good. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's pretty much all I have on, on Spiderweb uh, Science. Um, that's more than I had on Spiderweb Science. It's more than I had a couple days ago, I'll be I mean, honest. I'm sure I... there's, like, so much more that could be said about it if we had more time about, like, the different shapes totally. of webs that are formed and all, yes, all that's, of that that's, kind of shit. I think I'm going to drag us along from our hey. <laughs> spider, spider silk, spider webs, uh, onto a listener question. Um, unless you had, I don't know, anything else spider-related that you... No, I don't think so. I think, you know, as I said before, there's, you know, a lot more that could be said about um, spiderwebs and any more questions I would have about it would just lead us to talking for another hour, which I know we don't mm. have the time for at the moment. So any other queries oh, yeah. I have, I'll, I'll pocket and save for a later time where it might might come up. But I think we've already learned a lot about how... Um, how the spider webs are actually formed, the different types of web, their different purposes, mm. and how we can practically apply them if we are able yeah. to successfully farm them, which looks like it could be on the horizon. And of course, so. like I forgot to mention the most obvious, mo or like you know, let's be honest. What mm. would humans, if if we had a scaled up commercial production of spider silk, humans would use it for Halloween decorations. Yeah, straight up. Fuck silly string. We'd go hard and we'd, we'd you know, forget this, like, white stringy fake stuff. We'd be like, nah, man, my Halloween direction, de de directions, my Halloween decorations are legit. This is premium golden orb weaver spider mm. silk, my guy. Um, or that's that's how you know you've gone to a really bougie Halloween party before we hit the level of commercialized, commercially available spider silk. If someone's like, nah, this shit's legit. Um, probably See, wrong because that person's secret, probably not very ethical. My secret is I just don't clean the cobwebs that exist around my house. <laughs> spiders are my True. friends. I don't like flies. I don't like mosquitoes. Flies eat fl mm. uh, spiders eat flies and yeah. mosquitoes. Therefore, spiders are my friends. There's a spider yeah. that lives in the uh, driver's side rear view mirror of my car and mm. forms webs around there. And I just let it live because then it means no spiders. Have you named him? No, no, I haven't named him. There's he a spider that lives in our guy. house that... Oh, we named the spider that lives in our house. I haven't seen him for a while, actually, but we named mm. him Wally because we were always like, oh, where's, where's Wally? Wally? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, big that's like, huntsman like that would just be in different rooms and like, where's Wally? Um, I love spiders. Anyway, yeah. I, I'm actually, I'm going to pay more attention next time I see a, a spider web out in the wild. Now mm. that I know there's like seven different types of insane silk going on in that architecture. Like that's mad respect, mad respect. Mad respect to anyway. our spider friends. We are absolutely. pro spider but, here on Curiosity Killed the Rat. That's our official stance. Absolutely. Official stance. Totally. Um, but we're going to step away from the spiders now, move on to our listener question. So if this is your first time listening to the show or you've just like forgotten because it's been a while, uh, we tackle a listener question every episode, or almost every episode. Um, just at the end of the episode, if you find yourself uh, with a listener question, any of those ones based on spiders, feel free to send them through or anything like, you know, further questions sparked by that episode or just like you're going through your life and you just have a thought that you're like, this is scientific and I don't want to Google it. I want Cade to explain it to me. You can email mm -hmm. curiosityrat at gmail.com is where you can send through your listener questions. Um, please send them through. It's good fun. They can be, they can be mm -hmm. ridiculous or they can be 
serious. I don't mind. Very I like, often I, like I have things. people in my life and friends ask me science-related questions, and mm. I do my best to answer them, but I know that I don't always have the best instead. scientific answer, so I'll often direct them, hey, email us at curiosityrat at yeah, gmail.com, I- and my... Uh, as I stated at the start, more scientifically learned co-host might be able to give you a uh, more factually based answer. See, the funny thing is I do that as well, but I'm the one giving, I'm, I, I, if I'm I giving you information, I want me. it on tape. <laughs> um, yeah. I refer people to future me. People will ask me a question. I'll be like, that's a really interesting question with a really interesting answer. You should email curiosity.com <laughs> and I'll answer it later. Um, when I've double checked, like I fact checked myself, um, often I will <laughs> tell people. So having said that, um, one of my lovely friends did, in fact, do what I asked them to do and email uh, curiosityrat at gmail.com. Um, and they've asked, this is this is from Chloe, um, how do glow sticks work? I know that it's a chemical reaction of some kind uh, that we trigger when we crack it, but how does the chemistry just create light when there wasn't light before? I feel like I um, learned a little bit of this in physics back in the day. I wonder how much I remember. Yeah. I believe it's it's not fluorescence in this instance. This is phosphorescence. Is that correct? Um, no. No, oh, this is chemiluminescence. Right. Yeah. So I'm gonna pass it right over are, to you then. <laughs> but like you were totally you were totally, totally onto something in terms mm. of like okay, so so light, right? Let's let's <laughs> let's start with that as a concept, right? Like it's yeah. obviously a very complicated thing because we can think of it as a particle, like a photon, right? Or as a wave yeah. with wavelengths within the the visible light part of the electromagnetic spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, but all you really need to know, like for now, is that light is a form of energy that can be emitted through a variety of processes. Um, yeah. And you mentioned some of those processes. So these processes can include incandescence, right? Which is the emission of light due to heat. So if you've got fire mm-hmm. um, or like ordinary light bulbs, like an incandescent light bulb. Um, if that you is heat up a wire and it starts to heat. glow red, the glowing is yep. the incandescence. Incandescence. Yeah. Um, and then you've got everything else is a form of luminescence. So that is the emission of light caused by something other than heat. Okay. So you've got a couple of different subcategories of luminescence again. So you've got photoluminescence of which fluorescence and phosphorescence, which were the two you mentioned, Mm -hmm. those are both different types of photoluminescence. Okay. So this is where light is emitted after the absorption of some sort of radiation energy. Um, So like fluorescent light bulbs or like fluorescent microscopy is where you kind of like shoot Mm. a particular wavelength of light. It absorbs that wavelength of light and then it emits a different wavelength. Like uh, glow in the dark Um, stickers of stars and stuff. They absorb the light. You turn the light off and then they start to glow and emit the light. So that's phosphorescence. Okay. That's what I was thinking Which is, yeah. So, so still photoluminescence, right? Still a type mm. of photoluminescence, which is, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's essentially just a slow motion fluorescence. So, so fluorescence okay. happens like instantly, right? You'll, I, I do it all the time in the microscope and you shoot something with one wavelength and it emits a different wavelength instantly. Or if you've, you've put okay. something under black light that like glows and, you know, you're shooting it with that UV light or like, oh, I'm pointing to my head right now. No a, one else can um, see me. But I have currently my hair dye fluoresces under black light. It's like I have yeah. green hair at the moment that fluoresces under black light. And so when when it's hit with the particular, it also works under like things in the wavelength of like blue and purple. So I have a smart light globe in my bedroom that I can make purple 
um, and it makes mm. my hair fluoresce. Yeah. Because in because in my hair there's these these little like um, molecules that very instantly they'll absorb the purple light and they'll shoot it back out green because it fluoresces. I think and I've seen that like if I've gone into clubs and stuff back when that was a thing yeah. that I used yeah, to yeah, do yeah. and any like particularly white clothing I found would start yeah. to glow a little yeah. bit. But then as um, soon as I stepped out of the light, it doesn't continue to emit that glowing. If it continued yeah. to emit that, that would be phosphorescence. But when it's only underneath yeah. that light source, that's when it's fluorescence. Yeah. So, you know, phosphorescence, you normally charge stuff in the sun or like, you know, in other light, right? So like, I'm thinking of like glow in the dark things that I have that you leave sitting outside in the yeah. sun and then you move it into the dark. So it's, yeah, like it, you charge it with the light and then mm. it slowly releases for ages. And then, light. you know, cause that fades over time as well, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't you need stay to recharge it. Yeah. No, because it's just, yeah, a slow motion version. So those are your photoluminescence. So far, no glow sticks. Yeah. We got one other type of luminescence and that's chemiluminescence. Okay. So that is the emission of light caused by a chemical reaction or from mixing chemical compounds. And that's um, what glow sticks are. And that's what glow sticks are. So all of these different processes, you're like fluorescence, phosphorescence, chemiluminescence, blah, blah, blah. They all work on the same basic principle, right? There mm -hmm. is an outside source of energy, which excites some atoms. Uh, mm -hmm. Specifically, it excites the electrons inside the atoms, right? Mm -hmm. This causes the electrons to do something we call rise to a higher energy level. So what that essentially means is your electrons, normally they hang out kind of close to the atom's nucleus. When they get excited, when they get mm -hmm. like buzzed by this outside source of energy, they jump further away from the nucleus to this, what's called a higher energy level. Yeah. But they can't hang out there forever. Like that's, you know, they, they just don't, that's not very stable. So they eventually fall back down to their original level, mm -hmm. but then they release some of the energy as they do this because energy is never created or destroyed. It just changes shape and moves around and right. So when they're done with the energy, mm -hmm. they emit it, right? And they emit it in the form of photons. Yeah. And so this happens in in all of those things. It's either like, you know, a particular wavelength of light or radiation energy that kind of excites these electrons. Or like I said, in chemiluminescence, it's chemistry. So, so far I kind of still haven't really answered the question, which is like, how does chemistry just create light? We're getting there, yeah. but let's, let's talk a little bit more detail about like the chemistry part. Yeah. So we've got compounds. Compounds are made up of different elements bonded together in like specific proportions, right? That can't be mechanically separated. Yeah. So think water. It's real hard to just separate the oxygen from the hydrogen in water unless yeah. you use a chemical reaction. You can't just mechanically yeet them yeah. apart, right? You need a chemical reaction or, or something a little bit more extreme um, to do that. Yeah. So when you mix a compound with other stuff, you can like set off that reaction, right? So during mm -hmm. this chemical reaction, I'm just mansplaining chemistry to everyone now during this like <laughs> chemical this, reaction. Uh, there's a reason I dropped out of chem, so go mm. hard. <laughs> well, so the atoms are going to rearrange, right? So you have a chemical reaction, you have atoms bonded together in specific components, then they rearrange. And at the end of the chemical reaction, you have different compounds, atoms connected differently somehow. Yeah. Now, every single chemical reaction that happens will either absorb energy or release energy. And, oh no, I was thinking specifically heat. My mind went to and I'm learning about endothermic and exothermic but, reactions, but that's no, like with totally, heat rather which, than light. That, but exactly. That, that like that's, that's being released as heat or absorbing yeah, exactly. heat. Yeah, exactly. So chemical reactions that, yeah, release heat um, are mm. doing this or absorb heat are doing this um, because... Mm chemical reactions in order for these things to change, you need energy. Like yeah. you just, that's, 
Um, so in glow sticks, obviously this chemical reaction is leading to a big release of energy. Whatever chemical yeah. reaction we're setting off in a glow stick is releasing energy because it's releasing photons. Yeah. But it's not just that simple. It's not just like mix two things together. All of a sudden, magically there's photons. Like it, yeah. it's, it's more complicated than that. So picture a glow stick for a second, right? Yeah. We've got a little small plastic tube, um, various shapes and sizes, but like all glow sticks are going to be the same in that they contain two separate compartments. Mm -hmm. So usually this is the plastic tube itself, like the outer one. If you picture just, I don't know, standard glow stick bracelet plastic tube. Yeah. And then within that, in the middle of the stick, there is a small fragile glass vial. Glass? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know they so put So inside in this, well, when you crack the snick, Snick, mm. stick, crack the stick. You're actually snapping the glass vial. Like that's the sound of a cracking. You're breaking right. glass. Yeah. So inside your little glass vial before you've broken it, um, currently before you've broken it, right, it's keeping this little chemical separate from the rest of the tube. Um, it's a hydrogen peroxide solution called the activator, which I think is <laughs> very dramatic. Um, of course. So you've got your the activator inside this little glass vial, and then the rest of the stick is filled with a solution containing a dye um, of various different colors because, you know, glow sticks come in different colors, yeah. um, and something called phenyl oxalate ester. You don't really need to remember the name. It's just a different chemical. Yeah. Now, when you crack the stick, you're snapping the glass vial, like I said, mixing these chemical compounds together. Now, when the hydrogen peroxide from the glass vial, the activator, and mm -hmm. the phenyloxidate ester react, they produce something else. They produce this other third chemical. It's called a peroxy acid ester. Not important. They just produce something else. This mm -hmm. something else is highly unstable, right? And it quickly decomposes into mm -hmm. carbon dioxide. This is important because it's during this decomposition that the energy is released. Now, it's not photons yet. It's kind of just ambiguously like energy at the moment in the form of... Um, We've had this chemical reaction, we've had this decomposition, there's energy released. It's released to the dye. Remember how I said there's dye also yeah. in there of different colors, right? Now, it's the electrons in the dye atoms that get excited to this higher level yeah. and then fall back down, releasing energy in the form of light. Yeah. And so okay. that's why the particular dye that you use will determine the color of the glow stick because different dyes emit different wavelengths of light when they do this jump and fall thing. Ah, I didn't realize there were like so many little steps to it. I right. thought it would just it's be like so the chemical goes yeah. in there, light comes out, but the chemical yeah. goes in there, that makes a reaction mm. happen, which releases energy, which is absorbed by the dye. And then that needs mm. to go back down to its lower and level. And then after the electrons jump up then and then releases the energy yeah. again in the form of light in the color that we see of, as of photons of particular wavelengths dependent on the chemical of dye that you use, which is like, yeah, I, w I mean, you don't need to, obviously you don't need to remember any of the, I say I just don't assumed need to, it was like a, testing a one and done chemical reaction. Like it was just crystalline yeah. and there you snap at the baking soda mixes with the vinegar, it fizzes and butter bing, butter boom, it's done. But there's mm. like a multi-stage no, chemical fully... process happening there. And like, it made me like the glow stick itself Right, is it's just a case for this whole complicated chemical reaction. It's like a portable mm. chemistry experiment. Experiment. Yeah. Like, like it's. Isn't that insane? Isn't That's... that the coolest fucking thing? Like, yeah, I I looked into the detail because I was like, okay, that you could just answer it by being like, okay, yeah, it's a chemical reaction. You mix stuff and then photons are emitted. But I'm like, no. There's... The question is like, how does chemistry just create light when there wasn't light before? Mm. And I still like I don't know if I've I've answered it fully, but like yeah, it's this super complicated. 
it, it process makes of electrons bouncing and, and the different dyes give the different colors and you just, I don't know, I get so excited about things so easily. It I makes can sense because right I feel like we can, um, we all sort of intuitively understand that law of thermodynamics, right? that energy can't come from nowhere. Light can't come from nowhere. Mm. So where does it come from? It comes from mm. this chemical reaction that releases energy that mm. gets absorbed, that gets re-released as light. It's mm. yeah. Like yeah. the energy, like, the light is in there. It just isn't in the form of light. The chemicals it just isn't in the form. have it's, the ability to convert that energy into light through those yes, various processes. Through those various stages that we have, you know, figured out as humans and then decided to like put into a glow stick to give everyone a portable chemistry experiment that we can take to parties. Because pretty. Um, but also, but I mean pretty, but also like glow sticks have a lot of actual uses like scuba divers and spelunkers yeah. and stuff. And like camping, like it, it's, it's a source of light that doesn't mm. need fire or a battery mm. or like electricity, right? It just gives off light. It's like magic. But it's chemistry because magic magic is just science. Yeah. That we've explained. Um, and so like this is the thing. It's like it's this really cool source of light that is energy independent. Well, not energy independent, sorry, mm. light is energy that is electricity independent, battery independent, yeah. fire independent. Um, but of course, like, you know, we should just use it all the time. The problem is, like, it's not they it don't last forever, right? Glow yeah. sticks don't last forever and you can't reverse. The process, you like can't once the turn a glow, mixed, off, a glow stick off. No, um, well, you can, you you can in the sense, but you just won't be able to turn it back on again. Yeah, okay. So essentially, if you heat the solution, mm -hmm. the extra energy will accelerate the reaction. So the glow stick will glow brighter, but it'll mm -hmm. glow for a shorter amount of time. Yeah, because once all of those chemicals, so if you think about it, you've got kind of two pools of chemicals that mix and mm. mix and rearrange, mix and rearrange, and when there's none of the original two chemicals left, once they've all mixed and rearranged there's nothing left to give off light. Yeah. And so if we feed more energy into that reaction in terms of heat, it speeds it up, mm -hmm. it glows brighter, and then it's done. But that's this, for that same reason, I don't know if you remember, like, as a kid, I, we, like, used to put glow sticks in the freezer when you were done with them to try and make them last longer. I don't remember that, but I believe you. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's totally a thing. So if you cool mm. the stick down, the reaction will slow down. But this means that the light won't be as bright, right. which is fine when it's in the freezer. You don't need your freezer lit up. Mm. Um, but it means like, yeah, you can preserve your glow stick. So if you use it and it's still got quite a bit of like shine left in it, you can chuck it in your freezer overnight and until the next night and then you can pull it back out. Mm. It won't reverse the process though. Um, and it won't actually stop it completely either. So like eventually it'll run out if you just I guess like, brain, forget you know, about it. The same um, as food, right? You make food, you want it to last longer, you put it in the freezer. It won't uncook yeah, it. Slows, um, it won't no, get rid of any longevity down, you've already used it for, but yeah. It slows down any chemical reaction that, yeah, like slows it down considerably as well. So that's one way you can like preserve it, but then... Once again, it doesn't become like a, like camping, for example, like, oh, I'm going to have glow sticks mm. at night and then, oh, wait, I need a freezer with electricity yeah. <laughs> to preserve my glow stick for the next night. I may as well just take a little lantern. Um, but, you know, for things like, yeah, scuba diving, spelunking, like there are uses for glow stick. And like when I used to do the the 24-hour mountain bike races, I remember one mm. time cable tying glow sticks to the spokes of the mountain bike oh, that's and riding cool. at night. That's very fun. Well, um, what I want to see you know, happen is I want them to figure out how to get that um, 
I mean, I don't know the science behind it. You may not, you haven't researched it, but like glowworms, whatever type of essence mm. produces that light. I'm assuming some kind of chemoluminescence or whatever it was called. I'm not sure. Fuse yeah. that into our, um, our silkworms with our spider webs and let's farm glow in the dark spider silk and have that be a thing. Cause that would be Holy fucking awesome, right? shit. Halloween <laughs> yeah. just got fucking dope. I mean, Halloween was already dope, but like yeah. my Halloween game just, just upped entirely. No, I don't know. I haven't looked into glow worms, but even if it's not chemiluminescence, like there will be a gene that makes I feel like it would glow, be chemiluminescence like, because they're down in dark caves where there's like no source of light to feed that level of phosphorescence or mm, fluorescence. Mm. I feel like they'd have to be getting the energy from like whatever food they eat and it goes through a process in mm, their body, which no, then creates that true. light. That would be my guess. Yeah. That that makes sense to me. Um, yeah. But once again, I'm not going to say that with any like authority because yeah. I haven't we haven't fact-checked that. Um, That's just our best, yeah, educated assumption. But, yeah, totally, oh, my gosh, just the, I don't know, the mad scientist in me now is is planning my little glowing spider silk uh, worms, worm yeah. farm. Um, incredible. Delightful. Um, <laughs> well, happy Halloween, everyone, on that note. Uh, sorry that any Halloween parties you have been to slash are going to won't have glow-in-the-dark spider silk, but, I, you know, I'm pretty sure there's glow-in-the-dark the silly future. string, so that kind of does the same yeah, effect in yeah. the meanwhile. True, Poor man's true. version. And it's vegan. Um, <laughs> exactly. The vegan version, actually. <laughs> is the, probably better. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, Chloe, that answers uh, the, the glow stick question for you sufficiently. And once again, folks, if you have a question, curiosityrat at gmail.com, shoot your questions through to me. If you loved this episode you can find us wherever you catch all of your podcasts um you can find previous episodes and please just like you know if it's a platform where it's you're able to just like give us a little rating give us a nice one mm-hmm. do it just do it do a nice thing for us um please. and you know if you want to do something a little bit nicer than that we also have a patreon um mm-hmm. which once again not compulsory you don't even have to give us a nice rating just don't give us a one star rating that's my actually Ima- imagine we did say rating. it was compulsory just like you know mandatory <laughs> oh, yeah. patron- or we could do that we could put it behind a paywall um, but like, yeah fuck i was going to say that's a thing <laughs> that is a thing um, yes that is a real thing that people do but lucky for all you listeners we don't actually do that we do not put this podcast behind a paywall because it is very 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 important uh, to both matt and i like fundamentally the reason we started this podcast is because we want this information to Mm -hmm. be free and accessible for anyone that might want to know it um without you know having the means to get it any other way and so it is free and we do work very hard on making this free available resource Mm -hmm. i say all of this so that you know if you happen to be someone that has money um and you just you don't know what to do with it (laughs) <laughs> Let me help you out. Um, you can. There is a way for you to give it to us. We'll give you the podcast for free anyway. But if you do have a couple bucks that you want to chuck us, um, we have a Patreon. So you can find us, Curiosity Rat, on Patreon. Sign up for very small amount donations if that's what floats your boat. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, find us on social media at Curiosity Rat. I don't know. I've kind of, it's been a while since we've done all this like plugging. I've kind of yeah. forgotten the original spiel. The I usual mean, we've spiel, got, we're but, on. You know, Facebook. Y'all are podcast listeners. Instagram. You know how this works. Um, Search for us. Curiosity Killed X. the Rat. You know the name of the podcast. Like. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. With that, folks, that's, that's me done for this episode. I don't, I don't know what else there is to say. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Happy Halloween. Be Go good to appreciate other. some spider webs. Yeah. Don't, next time you see the spider in your house, just think, hey, nice job, buddy. 
Maybe nice let him job, live a bud. little. What an absolute fucking legend. Yeah. <laughs> Admire the, the skills. All right. Peace out, folks. Catch you next month. Farewell. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat.